0: I haven't even started yet, and you started clapping. That's great. Love it. I'm going to ask you to stand again as I read God's word. Our passage this morning is coming out of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. And there is also raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may sit. This morning I have the privilege of speaking on believing in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And I got to thinking, what is life after all? Because how can we possibly know what the resurrection or everlasting life is going to be if we don't know what life is here? And that got me thinking about people who tend to have a lot of life in them. So I'm going to tell you a story. It's a true story. It it must be, because it's a little inappropriate. So it's got to be true. This is a story of my friend Brady. Brady. Brady was about 18, 19, and his sister got married. And this boy came into the family and immediately took on the older brother role. Because Brady was the youngest of the family, and he had two older sisters, and he had no brothers to pick on him. So this this man who married into the family said, well, Brady hasn't been picked on enough, so I'm going to start picking on him. And that kind of became the family dynamic in Brady's family. But Brady had so much life in him that he was the best at rolling with the punches. So one night, the whole family goes out to eat at this Mexican restaurant, and they're having a great time. And just like always, Brady's being picked on, but Brady's good with it. And uh, there's this bowl of salsa in the middle of the table. This bowl of salsa probably has about a cup and a half to two cups of salsa, and it's good Mexican salsa. It's spicy. It's good stuff. And the older brother says to Brady, he says, hey, Brady, I'll give you 50 bucks if you drink it. (laughs) Brady says, 50 bucks? Really? 50? And he says, yeah, yeah. Well, Brady's dad, he, he likes this. So he says, I'll give you another 50 bucks seriously a hundred bucks to drink this salsa who can drink salsa i mean it's chunky but he's like i'm gonna drink this salsa well then dad and older brother they start getting a little worried they're thinking oh my gosh i'm gonna be out 50 bucks so they start setting rules down they're like okay brady 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 hold on before you go drinking the salsa first off you can't have anything to eat or drink after you drink the salsa unless it's milk they're thinking milk is gonna make him throw up and you got to wait at least 30 minutes before you put anything else in your body. And if you throw up, it doesn't count. It's totally moot. You sure you want to drink that salsa? And Brady's like, A hundred bucks? Yeah, I want to drink the salsa! <laughs> so sure enough, Brady takes the salsa bowl and just starts chugging. Oh. I can hardly even think about it. He drinks the entire bowl of salsa. He's sweating. I mean, just pouring sweat down his face. And he is miserable, clearly, but he waits it out the whole 30 minutes. And in the parking lot of the restaurant, after dinner, he gets paid up. 50 bucks from dad and 50 bucks from brother. Now, the story doesn't end there. I mean, that's a lot of life to just be able to do that. But the next morning, he arrives back at the family home. And the older brother says, Brady, how you feeling today? And Brady says, well, <clears throat> it was worth it for the hundred bucks. But I have to tell you, this morning, I shat fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a little inappropriate, but true. True. This is Brady, who took life to the edge and said, I'm going to a, take a risk. I am going to step over the line. And this wasn't... This wasn't a line that was going to hurt someone. This isn't a line that was, you know, bad for him or bad for others. This is Brady just knowing how to live. And we loved Brady for it. Now, it's easy to look at a person like Brady and say, this boy has really got it going on. But if we were to shine the whole light onto Brady's life, we would have noticed that he had a lot of darkness, too. He had a stuttering problem. He had been hung up on so many times because he'd get to the phone and he'd try and make that phone call, but nothing would come out. And so people would hang up thinking he was just pranking. He was skinny and scrawny. He didn't want to do college. He went off and and tried to just make it on his own and in construction. And he was away from his family for a long time and... Just this last fall, this boy, who had so much life in him, he couldn't see the light anymore. And on his first attempt, the light went out, and he committed suicide. This boy, who had so much life in him, what we saw was not the whole story And that's true for everyone who's sitting here, too. That we're not just this outer shell of a body. I'm not defined by what you see in me. There's so much more to my story. And it's true for everyone who's sitting here. We've been looking at the Apostles' Creed for quite a few weeks now. And maybe some of us have been asking, what's the point You're telling me what to believe. Okay, I'll believe it. But that's for children. When we have children, we tell them, believe this, it's good for you. But we're not children anymore. Now, now we need to believe. We need to believe the words of the Apostles' Creed. And I want to show you step by step why we need to believe them. Let's look at the first slide. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We need to believe this because we need to know that creation is not an accident, that there's actual order in the the universe around us, that, that things don't just happen because it exploded once. Things are happening because there's someone in control. We need to believe that because there's chaos in our lives, isn't there? And oftentimes we feel out of control. We need to know that somebody planned it all. The next one. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary. You see, we need to believe that God is near. We need to believe that God is not some... um, Corporate CEO off in some ivory tower somewhere deciding to hire and fire us on a whim based on statistics and numbers. That's not the God we have. The God we have became Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came to earth and was born. God came near to us. We need to know that God isn't far off in the distance, but God is near. We need to know that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. What this tells us, this is is what we need to know in this, is that when I hurt, when you hurt, when you've been betrayed, when you have unrequited love, When you are disappointed, when you are dumbfounded, that Jesus knows that feeling. That these aren't, these aren't feelings that he can't possibly relate to because he's God. He is God, but he is a hundred percent human being. And he knows these feelings. We need to know that he knows it, because if we can't believe that, then where do we stand? Let's go to the next one. I believe he descended into hell. Why do we need to believe this? I think that Betsy Tenboom, sister to Corey Tenboom, said it best. Betsy and Corey were in a concentration camp during World War II. And uh, Betsy said to Corey one day, she said, There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. We need to believe that he descended into hell because he has gone as deep as will ever be. I wish that I had a chance to tell Brady this right now. That as deep as you might feel you are, God is deeper still. Let's go to the next one. I believe on the third day he rose again from the grave and ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. You know what's funny is that um, the Gospels tell us that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die, be buried, and be resurrected three times and the disciples just couldn't couldn't calculate what that meant they thought that Jesus was just speaking in riddles or it was too much to comprehend and so they just pushed it away the truth of that what this tells us is that Jesus is who he really says he is Jesus is really who he says he is that everything that Jesus said about himself is true and the next one is just like it From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. It's that what he says he'll do, he does. He gets it done. You know, all of this has already been done. He said he'd do it, he did it, and it's done. We can trust Jesus. We need to know that we can trust that Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do so that we can take that next step of faith. So that we can put all of our eggs in one basket, that basket of the Lord, and trust. This is why we need to believe this stuff, people. couple more. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus did not leave me here alone. That when Jesus ascended into heaven, which he did, that he left his Holy Spirit who is God, with us and that Holy Spirit is as close as any person can be to me and as close as any person can be to you and that you are never alone. The next one. In the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints because we need to know that We're in this together. That the person who's sitting next to you is not a person who doesn't get it. The person who's sitting next to you is someone who doesn't have it all together either. Trust me. (laughs) I know, smile at the person next to you and say, I know about you. (laughs) They don't have it all together either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They are more than a shell. They are more than a body. They are more than what you see. They have fears and they have hopes. They have dreams, they have joys, they have sorrows. They, um, they, they lack faith. They have doubt. They might be able to pray really well in front of people, which is something that scares you to death. But they still struggle. They still struggle. And if this is something that the church needs to do better, um, this is something that the church needs to do better. We need to start being honest with one another and being real and vulnerable. We need to believe that we're not walking this path alone, that we're doing it together as one body. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is important too, huh? That God's mercies are new every morning. What I see in this is that it tells me that even when I screw up, I am not a screw-up. That my failures don't define me. That though I struggle with something, an addiction, cussing, lying, cheating, dishonesty, inauthenticity, that when we struggle with those things, they don't define who we are. That when Jesus looks on us, that Jesus sees us as whole and beautiful and that his mercies are new every morning. If we didn't believe in this, we'd all take the path of Brady because that would be just too big of a burden to bear. Don't you think? We have to know that the sun's coming up tomorrow and that there's a new day and we have another chance now we're on to the one that I bring you today. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, I don't know about you. I never really thought about this before I was given this task of preaching on it. But I've decided that this is the hardest one for me to believe. You see, cuz all the other ones that came before this, they have been done. Like even right down to the forgiveness of sins. We've seen forgiveness happen throughout the Bible. But the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting talks of something that is often a distance. Or does it? See, I think of the resurrection of the body being when Jesus returns and restores creation to the way that it was intended to be. When heaven and earth are no longer separated by this this terrible awful thing called death when that is removed and conquered and heaven and earth start to become one again the way that it was intended to be in the first place then my body is going to be restored in the flesh as a earthly body and a spiritual body that's what we're talking about with the resurrection of the body and when i'm restored when you're restored when those loved ones that you've lost are restored, then we will be whole forever into life everlasting. And that does feel like it's way off in the distance. But there's something else that this one tells me that I think is really important for now. So listen carefully. What this tells me is that, yeah, the world is pretty screwed up because otherwise why would we need a resurrection of the body and life everlasting why would we need to put our hope in something that is not yet the world is screwed up it's like it's acknowledging okay you guys I'm not gonna lie to you we live in a really broken place and it's gonna stay broken for a little while longer that brings me a sigh of relief That tells me that I'm not expected to be perfect right now. And that's good to know, (laughs) because I don't think I can be. It tells us that, you know, bad things are going to continue to happen. But it also tells us, it tells us something that I'm going to steal from a a popular commercial um, campaign right now. It tells us that it gets better. (laughs) You know, it gets better. And to figure out how it gets better, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, we're just going to walk through three things that this 1 Corinthians passage tells us that shows us how today we are in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It is a a now and a not yet. It is happening and it's going to happen. If you remember from the reading, we talked about a seed, um, a seed that is sown into the ground, that's planted into the ground. And Paul wants us to know that when you sow a seed, you're not sowing the body that you want to raise up. You're sowing something that must die. So when we're thinking about the resurrection of the body, we're thinking about what must die so that we can live resurrected. So picture in your head a seed, okay? Then we plant it into the ground about two and a half inches deep, depending on the seed. I don't have a green thumb, so I made that up. And then the seed, it it decomposes and it dies. It's not like it just, you know, says, I'm going to start growing now. First, it has to decompose into the ground. It's like it's going back to where it started. And then from that starts the plant that comes out so what is it in our life today that should it die we are taking a step into the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and we're going to look at first corinthians 15 starting with verse 42 just three things first it says so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable And what is raised is imperishable. So to live into this hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, we need to identify and acknowledge in our lives those those things that are perishable and need to die so that we can live into the imperishable that needs to live. So I I racked my brain to go back to college. It was forever ago. And I tried to think, what was it that being in a college campus needed to die in me? And and maybe even if this doesn't really speak to you, find something that does, okay? What is perishable? We need to reject those who tell us that cheating doesn't hurt anyone. Maybe that was a voice in your head. Maybe someone has said that to you before or something like it. Cheating doesn't hurt anyone. And it's not like the professor gave you what you needed to succeed anyway. Just do it. We need to reject that because that is perishable. Let's just plant that away and let it die. We need to reject the one who says, um, one drink won't hurt. Just, it's just one drink. It's not like you're throwing your life away. It's not like you're going to become an alcoholic because you took this one drink. Okay, that's, that's a perishable voice that needs to be sown away, dead, and buried. Or maybe it's, just watch this video. It's not going to kill you. What, can't you handle it? What are you, a wuss? Did they say that still, wuss? Okay, well, fill in the blank. Those are the things that are perishable. Those are the things that need to be planted and die away so that we can raise up the imperishable. So what is Imperishable. For this, we're going back to the Beatitudes, back to Matthew 5, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Can you hear it? Can you hear? It's like the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting is calling out to you and saying, come on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who plant away and let die and decompose those things that are perishable so that they can be filled. It's a now and a not yet. Let's plant those things away so that starting now I can be filled. So that in glory I <laughs> will be full. Let's look at the next look at the next one. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. So dishonor is something a seed that must be planted and decomposed so what does dishonor look like on a college campus maybe dishonest or dishonor sounds like this voice keep walking someone else will probably help i just i imagine that there are people who are hurting on campus or even being hurt or being exploited. And we hear this voice like, like the two on the road, um, the two religious people on the road with the Good Samaritan, where they just stepped around the person who needed help and kept on walking. Keep walking, someone else will probably help. It's not your job to play police officer. You see someone who is making a mistake that you know is going to take a bite out of who they are. You see someone who's making a choice that is going to be for them um, a devastating consequence. And they say, or someone else says, or your little voice in your head says, it's not your job to be the, their conscience. It's not your job to be their police officer. And you choose not to say anything. This is dishonor. This is the seed that has to be planted away and decompose and die because it has no place in the kingdom. Instead, we go to the Beatitudes and we find what is raised up in glory. What is buried as dishonor is raised up in glory. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. That we, when we are merciful, when we reach out to each other and help one another, we receive mercy. We receive it today, but we receive it in the kingdom when, God's, when God comes back to earth and we all live together, we receive mercy because we were merciful. That is what needs to be raised up. Here's the last one. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. What does the seed of weakness look like? This one I hope I communicate this right because if we could get this figured out now when we're still young, the church will be a different place. The church will look much more like the church is supposed to be because in my mind, what I hear in this is that weakness is those who hide their sin in darkness. It's those who are too afraid to confess. It's those who walk around as though even they believe that they've got it all together. Someone once said that the only sin that has power over you is the sin that's kept in darkness. So if we want sin to have power over us, then we don't confess. That we Then we just, we're not authentic with each other. Then we just, we go our way and we dress the way that we're supposed to dress and we look the way we're supposed to look and we sound the way we're supposed to sound and we pull it off. That's the sin that has power over us and keeps us in darkness. And that's what happens to the church. I don't know about you guys, but I have been in churches where when you walk in, you automatically see and hear how you are supposed to be. And then we emulate that. And if you were to confess and say, hold on, I don't know if I can believe that, then you're pushed to the side. That's not the way that the church is supposed to be. And that's not the way that this is supposed to be here either. This church, this body of Christ, these people of God, we're called to be authentic. The world says, that it's weak to confess but God says that confession is power because it's in your weakness that God is strong it's I know it's backwards but stay with me weakness is opposite in the kingdom of God so let's bury this let's bury this inauthenticity let's bury this desire to have it together let's bury all those things that keep you from saying wait a minute I'm not sure I believe, help me believe. Let's talk, let's be real. We'll bury those things and raise up in power because in our weakness, God is strong. And for this, we have the beatitude that comes from Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's an echo right there of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who don't have it together. Blessed are you who hasn't figured it all out yet. Blessed are you who has doubt but is willing to be real. In that place, in God's presence, and in the presence of God's people. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. It is now, and it is coming in the future when all things are made right again. This is where we're asking you to step in. To walk on this path of belief that we need to believe these things. We need to believe them to have life. We need to believe them so that when we get to those dark places that feel like we're all alone, we'll know that we're not. The last thing I want to know before we close this morning is do you believe? Do you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We need you in the most desperate of ways. Because you are our hope. You are our future. You have it all planned out for us. And when we live into that plan, Lord God, it will be amazing. So God, please give give direction to our feet so that we can step forward in belief, in faith. Give our hearts the courage to trust you give our minds the capacity to ask questions about you and may we live forever in your glory because it is never out of your reach thank you God for all you have done and for all you will do we pray these things in faith Amen.